to the Focus Series by Dental Head Start, where we focus into your favourite topics. Congratulations, you finally made it through dental school and now you're ready to start working as a dentist. Although studying dentistry may have felt like a huge challenge in your life, your first year as a dentist is likely to feel the same, if not more. So what are the key tips and tricks you need to know as you begin seeing patients and are doing procedures without the safety net of a supervisor checking off the key steps? Welcome back to the new Grad Focus series. My name is Philip Nguyen and I am a first year graduate dentist. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Michelle Chen, who is a graduate of the University of Queensland. Within her workplace, she has a role in the mentorship program of new graduate dentists and has seen the common mistakes that many make when first starting out. This episode will wrap up the entire new grad focus series and is the perfect summary to listen to before you start your first day of work. We hope you enjoyed the episode and good luck in your careers as dentists. So, Michelle, you're fairly recently out of university. Like you're only a few years out, but you're like killing it in your in your work at the moment. But like, how did you sort of get to where you are? And we see like all your sort of Instagram stories of you like doing your Wizzy exos. Like, how did you sort of develop yourself to, to get to where you are at the moment? I think it's a bit of luck and a bit of hard work at the same time. I guess. Right from the end of uni, I knew that I wanted to focus on surgery. My placement was in Ipswich, and Ipswich is generally a lower socioeconomic area, so I did a lot of extractions during my final year placement. I didn't really get to do a lot of surgical procedures, but I think that's where the start of that interest bloomed. I guess uh, as as a dental student, you kind of like the procedures that you do more of and feel more competent in. So I, I just naturally veered towards extractions and surgery. And then when I graduated, I was tossing up between two jobs. One was at the place that I was placed in, so up in the public Ipswich system. And then the other one was in private practice in Ipswich with Dr. No Cash Up's group. But Part of me wanted to take the public route just because I knew what it was like and I was comfortable there already and I knew all the people. But then the other part of me knew that in order to grow as a graduate, I needed to expose myself to a different sort of environment and not just be in my comfort zone from the very start. So, yeah, I think I was very lucky to have gotten the job with Nov because Nov has extensive experience in taking out, like, impacted wisdom teeth and he has other senior dentists that also have extensive experience in that area so I was able to learn through observation and through their mentorship yeah I feel like like a lot of people out straight over uni or like towards the end of their time at uni everyone sort of has that thought of wanting to do like a bit of public and a bit of private like to sort of get your you know extraction experience up and and that sort of stuff but what was the sort of main factor that you chose doing private instead of working that public job? The main deciding factor was during dental school, most students, we don't get a lot of exposure to things like endodontics, fixed pros, and even difficult oral surgery. I was confident with simple oral surgery, like just simple extractions, but I knew those are the areas that I needed to upskill in. So one of my first tips for the graduating dentists would be to start 
upskilling in areas where you lack experience from in dental school as soon as you can. I believe that if there's no challenge, then there's no growth. So even though I was confident in simple oral surgery and I felt like I could be working pretty comfortably in the public system, um, I didn't want to lose the little expertise that I had in endo and in fixed pros straight out of graduation. And that's why I decided to choose to go private route and um, work in private practice instead of just staying in public. In saying that, working in public is also a really, really great job. I know a lot of people who work in public, it's up to personal preference. But in the end, I think private practice was the best choice for me. So I guess, you know, people who have been listening to the series so far, we've sort of gone through all the specific areas of you know, transitioning from university to, to working as a new graduate. I guess this episode's going to be a bit more of a summary of, of like the tips that are going to sort of get you to to working successfully um, in your first year as a new grad. Um, so I've just gone through that experience now. I'm getting towards the end of my first year working as a dentist. And Congratulations. I feel like there's... Thank you. <laughs> I think there's so much that like, looking back on the year so far, there's like, so much that, that has happened that I can't even imagine like at, at the start of the year sort of like, doing these sorts of things and, and you know, going, going through it, um, it all. Um, but I guess you've, you've got sort of a few more years um, ahead of me. So we've sort of come up come up together with a few of your, I guess, your, your top five tips to sort of um, your keys to success, really, that anyone listening to this to this episode can sort of listen to and, and yeah, and, and really sort of transition to that new, new grad role successfully. So the first thing that you've sort of mentioned is upskilling in the areas where you lack experience. I guess... I, I guess uh, when you're working, I, what what if you work at a specific place and it's, it's very like one focused in one area? So like I guess like maybe like you're doing this very simple, just like restorative dentistry rather than like crown and bridge stuff. Um, is there a way that you think you can still sort of recommend someone that can you know stay off their skills with like, in other areas? Yeah, well, I guess. It, it definitely does depend on where you get the job and what kind of job you get and the type of mentorship that you get. But I feel like there's an opportunity present in everything for graduates. I feel like first paid CPD you should go to should be a communication one, especially if you're working in private practice where costs of treatment are involved. Communication is the biggest barrier, even in a demographic that is largely healthy and look after their oral hygiene really well. There's still opportunities there where they're maybe let's say the patient is older or they have a heavily restored dentition there is still a lot of potential there for fixed pros endo stuff like that but I feel like the main barrier is communication and having good communication skills will enable you to practice to your full clinical potential do you notice that when you first graduated you're full of knowledge but your experience poor so or at least I noticed that graduates often try to compensate for their lack of experience through showing off their knowledge and over explaining things and then the more that they practice the less that they talk and sometimes less is really more I'm not sure if that's something you can relate to yeah yeah and then you like try to like sound really you know knowledgeable in 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 the way that you explain things to your patients and then you can just like see in their eyes after they kind of like glaze over it yeah. and kind of like know that you've like kind of lost them a little bit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you have to backtrack a little and be like are you with me mm. like yeah 
Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like yeah. <laughs> that one of your first CPD courses that you did out of university, like a communication one? Yeah. So when I – the group that I got hired into, we had like a structured graduate mentorship program and communication was one of them followed by things that helped to aid that like photography and then CEREC and, and composites and then just uh, a follow-on of things. But yeah, communication was definitely the first one. And yeah, I found that after doing that course, it really transformed the way that I discussed treatment options with patients and even that the way that I speak to them about certain things. It's that time of year again. Before June 30, we have to renew our indemnity insurance. And when I look for an insurer, I'm looking for someone who's going to be there when I need their help. They're going to act fast and they're going to be by my side so I can practice with confidence. I get all of that from Dental Protection Limited. What I love about them is that they're more than just an insurer. They're actually here to help us, to give us content and support us with medical legal situations and most importantly, help us avoid these situations. The content they produce is the best content out there from an insurer like them. Renewal notices are out in May. To make sure you get all of these added benefits, sign up by June 30. I can say from personal experience, when you need help, you'll be glad you're with Dental Protection Limited. Thank you, Dental Protection Limited, for supporting me in my career and the Dental Head Start podcast. Once you sort of realized that you were you know, liking surgery, how did you start like doing more of it? So like, like obviously you're doing whizzies, it's like a fairly complex thing. Like, is there, did you sort of like watch other dentists first and then sort of go from there? Yeah. So for me personally, I realized that that was an area of interest of mine. So I made it apparent early. Like I told Nove and I told my senior dentist mentor who was really good at Wizzies that it was something that I was interested in. So I would like flick through the books in advance and see if they had any extractions booked in and then I'd block myself off so that and then I'd ask if it was a case where it would be suitable for me to go and assist. I find that learning my observation is one of the best ways to to learn. Observing more experienced dentists is definitely, yeah, one of the best ways to upskill because they, well, the ones that I work with at least are so generous in sharing their knowledge and I learn so much just by watching them. And then when I have a case that I want to try and tackle myself, I try to like uh, re-envision what they did when I was assisting them and that way I can like play in my head first before I do the actual surgery and I find that that really really helped yeah and also I find that case selection is also very important you know when I was learning how to do surgical wisdom teeth extractions I'll try to gradually level up in difficulty as I go like I started with I remember I started with simple fully erupted no impaction cases on someone who was really young where I knew I could basically just get it out without um doing much but I could just practice raising a flap do a little bit of um, guttering just so I knew what it felt like and that way I knew that it was like my safety net and then I tried to look for cases with a small amounts of vertical impaction then mesial angular distal angular then horizontally impacted until I've like ticked off all the types of impaction and then I find that the first time is always scary but with each subsequent time it becomes easier and easier and then as you feel more competent at things you naturally get more confident and less anxious as well 
did you did you feel like um when you were starting out with all this sort of stuff that you were needing someone to be like with you in the room or like did you need someone to like, get you out of like sticky situations uh, like a lot or was it was it something that sort of, your transition happens fairly smoothly and that you didn't really have too many issues along the way Oh, no. Um, For my first few cases, I think my first two or three, um, it was pre-planned. So I would find, you know, find a suitable case first and then I would bring the OPG to my my senior dentist and we would sit there and discuss the surgical plan and then we'd book it in another day where both her and I were working and she'd block off her book to come and assist me. She would get all the billings for that procedure um, and I would get the benefit of the um, learning experience from that. Yeah, that's basically how it worked. So I would do the procedure and then she would the assisting and silently gesture, like use her suction tip to indicate where I should raise the flap, like, you know, point to things and um, silently and we try and communicate through body language and through our eyes um, just so the, the patient still felt comfortable. But And then afterwards we would sit down and we would just discuss how I went, things I could have done better in and, yeah, kind of like that. And then after about three, maybe four times, I felt like I was okay to be myself. Um, if I had any cases coming up, I would just message her and be like, hey, um, I have this booked in. Do you mind just hanging around or do you mind just being on standby just in case? Like, I think I should be fine, but um, just in case. And, yeah, that's kind of how it worked. And so I guess if, if someone is, um, you know, wanting to get into a more complex entry like extractions or surgery and but then, like, their, their practice isn't as, like, supportive as, as, like, we both have experience, is there another way that you think someone can get into it? Yeah, definitely. I feel like there's a lot of dentists on Instagram or people on DPR on on the online forum space who make themselves known for doing that sort of stuff. So I feel like if you sent them a message or a DM, they would be happy to have you in to observe and discuss or ask any questions. Um, The other thing I found really helpful was there's this textbook on third molar extractions written by Dr. Yong Sam Kim. It's like it's like a huge textbook, but it was it's the only textbook I've ever read from start to finish, and I found it extremely interesting. It really really helped me with um, tackling my cases. It goes through every single type of impaction and ways to troubleshoot and everything like that. Um, so if third molar extractions is something you're interested in, I would definitely recommend that you pick up this textbook and yeah give it a read I think he also has some CPD courses as well but they might be in Korean with English translation I'm not sure um yeah he's Korean yeah but I think he he recently came to Australia right Oh yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, Melbourne or something. Yeah, and yeah. then and then yeah, and then he. I think he did the course in Crete, and then there was someone there to translate. To translate, yeah. Think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I, I have a few friends that went. Oh. Um, but yeah. Oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah. Once you've realised you want to, what you want to sort of get to the small complex side of dentistry, we've realised that we need to work on our communication. What is your, I guess, your other big tip on on trying to convert your patient? to want to, to needing to go through with, with like, I guess I like came the whizzies out and that sort of thing. Uh, Cause that like a lot of, in my experience, a lot of patients are like, Oh, I'll just wait till it hurts or 
um, or like they have that mindset of, of it sort of being stable and then when it starts hurting, then, then, then they wanted to get it out then. But how do you sort of communicate to your patients to, yeah, to, to, I guess, to, to get them to, to go ahead with the treatment like that? That's a great question. I think I've, I've been very lucky. The demographic that I work with, a lot of them don't have private health, which means they don't have hospital cover and they only attend upon emergencies. <laughs> so usually how I obtained my cases was they're in pain and they needed them out and they can't afford to go under general or they don't want to and they just want it out there and then. So I feel like in that aspect, I've been very lucky. Other times I have seen that sometimes when I take out like a set of uninterrupted ones, it might be because the patient has just finished orthodontics and their orthodontist has recommended they get them taken out before they cause problems in the future or they want them taken out before they start ortho. Um, things like that. Um, but I personally feel like I've been very, very blessed to work in a demographic that um, largely they don't, they're, they're fine with treatment in the chair. They're fine with extractions in the chair. I know that a lot of my friends who work in the city areas, even my partner, their patients would just rather go on the general or rather see a specialist in that aspect. But because I work in a regional suburb, specialists are a bit far away, a bit harder to get in with so if they want treatment quick or even on the spot they're just happy to let us just have a crack kind of thing I also do feel like it's sometimes in the way that you word things as well like especially for something like wisdom teeth extractions you have to sound confident you can't sound hesitant the more confident you sound, the more the patient will trust you. Yeah, as a result, they're more likely to let you do it, obviously, providing that you've selected your cases correctly and safely as well. Something that we have most difficulty with like leaving university is trying to communicate these like, big treatment plans to patients. And does it, it doesn't even have to be that big, but if it, even if it sort of covers, you know, you know taking your whizzies out and, you know, then people need quite extensive work. How do you communicate the most ideal treatment plan to a patient in a way that they're going to be more likely to, to, to need to go ahead with it? My first tip would be to offer the ideal treatment option to every patient who walks in. Like, don't judge someone by what they're wearing or what they look like. If you offer the ideal option, it opens the doors to more opportunities for treatment and therefore for your own growth as well. And also it benefits the patient as because it is the ideal option that they need. Um, let's say, for example, if a patient walks in with a broken molar, don't just assume they want it patched up with a filling. Take photos, use an intraoral camera or a big DSLR and explain the option for a crown. Show them the crack. Show them how much of the tooth is gone. I find that some patients aren't even aware that something like a crown is even an option and they would rather just pay more for longevity and not have to get the molar patched up whenever it chips. I find that a lot of people get disheartened if the patient says no or if they just bluntly be like, nah, I'm not interested, just patch it up kind of thing. But what I've found over time is that, you know, the molar will chip again or they'll come back for something else that chips or uh, or a clean and then a no at the time simply meant a no at the time that they said it and they might have just needed some time to process the option or they may have just needed to wait until something else chipped or wait until they get a more stable job until the no becomes a yes 
Yeah. Also, if patient walks in and there's just cavities everywhere, broken teeth everywhere, and the treatment plan seems complicated, I feel like you shouldn't rush into making and presenting a treatment plan right away because it can be overwhelming for you and overwhelming for the patient as well. You should communicate to them that today I'll gather all the diagnostic information, but because there is a lot going on, I'll analyze everything over the week and then bring you back for a free consultation next week where I can present you all the options and we can review and discuss and find the best way forward for you. I feel like most patients who I've said this to were really appreciative of this gesture and no one's ever had an issue with it or anything like that because they come in knowing that they need a lot of work and they appreciate that you're taking the time to go through everything properly. Yeah, so I find that that's helpful too. At the clinic I work at, we do offer like payment plans. A lot of patients who need extensive treatment or even not that extensive, but just more complex treatment or a lot of fillings do decide to go with that option just because it makes it more affordable for them. Um, They can get all the treatment done in a short amount of time without a a big out-of-pocket sum of money cost. So that's very, very helpful as well. I'm not sure, does your practice offer payment plans or afterpay? Yeah, I I always sort of tell patients that like no one really has, you know, I guess like $10,000 lying around suddenly and they and they need to use it. And so and so like yeah, I always I always tell people like yeah, like a lot of people do take um, payment plans as um, you know, as 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 the way of sort of paying things um because yeah, because like yeah, no one no one like is suddenly, you know, ready to spend ten thousand dollars on on their on their teeth when when it's not something that you kind of expect. But yeah, so I think like almost all of my like extensive treatment plans, um most people do go on treatment uh, on, on a on a payment plan. Um so yeah, I, I I always try to like normalize it for the patient and be like, yeah, like yeah, like most people do it. Some people have like this stigma against um, going on a payment plan or afterpay, but I feel like in the, if we word it in a way where it's like quite normal for people to go on it for dental treatment because dental treatment is expensive, then it makes them feel like, oh, like it's normal. Like, yeah, I can afford it. That's all I have to do type of thing. Do you want to add orthodontics to your general practice? So many patients today are looking for aesthetic outcomes and and changes, things that we can do with things like aligners and fixed braces that can put the teeth where they need to be so we can be more minimal in what we do to those teeth. I know it's something I wanted to learn and personally, I've gone down the path with OrthoEd doing the mini masters. I'm also getting treatment myself. I'm in aligners right now. If you're ready to go all in with orthodontics, you can go and do the mini masters with OrthoEd and Dr. Jeff Hall and at the end, you can get a postgraduate diploma. But if you're starting off with smaller steps, they even have some online education, including aligners and aligner courses that are standalone. In the COVID environment we're currently in, these courses have remained live and we can then go and do them in person later on. I really appreciate the way they've managed that and I'm still getting tons of value. OrthoEd gives you an understanding from the foundational level. You understand aligners as well as fixed braces, the mechanics and all the things in between. If you're about to start your orthodontic journey, check out dentalheadstart.com slash orthoed to get 10% off their entire range. You might even run into me at one of the courses. You 
mentioned like photography um, briefly just before um, as a way of like communicating like urgency to a patient. Are there like is it is, is there anything else that you think like someone entering the first year as a dentist should also sort of incorporate into their their, 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 their like checkup appointments to to to, to, to uh, communicate the urgency apart from photography? On the note of photography, it doesn't even need to be like you know a DSLR quality one if it's not something you want to invest in right away a small intraoral camera where you can take photos of individual teeth even calculus things like that it um, and just to show the patient um, it can help them uh, help you in communicating like oral hygiene instructions help you in showing them small cracks on the teeth big fillings cavities, things like that. I find that using the intraoral camera helps me capture areas where let's say there's an operculum or pericoronitis going on with partially erupted wisdom teeth, teeth that have holes on them, um, and to, just to show the patient that this could be a problem in the future and that you might want to consider taking them out before it causes issues because sometimes they're like, oh, it hasn't given me problems, but I can feel like a little flap of gum with my tongue or something like that and then I'm like do you know that it's actually quite inflamed there's a lot of food getting trapped under there let me take a photo let me show you and then once I show them they're like oh that doesn't look great like yeah I don't want it to play up over Christmas so then it it just sparks them to want to try to do something before it gets sore in that way as well. So at my um, practice we use an intraoral camera called um, I think it's called Mouthwatch and um and like uh, yeah, like like you said, like it doesn't have to be like a like a super expensive purchase that you that you use. Um, I think I looked up back and it's roughly around three hundred dollars. So, yeah, about three hundred. Um, like I think. I- yeah, and I, I think it's like so worth it. Like you'd you'd make that back so quickly, um, uh, you know, with the, with the treatment plans and everything. And so, like, if 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 I guess if someone's working at a practice that doesn't have um uh, like any sort of photography, um, whether that be like a DSLR or like an intraoral, then yeah, it, it doesn't have to be an expensive purchase to 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 get you started. That's a good tip as well, I think. Just one more note on photography. Um, it's good to take photos for complex cases because then you can take them over and combine them with the x-rays and discuss it with someone more senior as well. And having a visual aid there just helps because sometimes an x-ray really doesn't show everything. Um, so, yeah, having that visual really, really helps with, you know, discussing um, discussing and finding the best treatment plan for a patient as well. I guess um, just wrapping up what we've sort of spoken about so far, and I guess of the whole sort of um, you got focus series that I've done so far, um, what is your sort of uh, last tip for for someone that's entering their first year as a dentist? Like, what what's your ultimate sort of thing that someone should know? I guess my last tip would be to just be humble and try to foster a positive working environment. Be nice to your assistants and reception staff. If it weren't for them, you wouldn't have patients to see, and your job would be very very difficult. Um, show them that they are appreciated. Don't, you know, put yourself above them. Try to just, yeah, be humble and and make sure you're open to their feedback and learning from them too. And, yeah, show, show them appreciation for help and guidance, especially as a graduate. I feel like when you first start working, the assistants often, they, they know more than you do, right? <laughs> 
yeah, I'm not saying to be a pushover, but don't get all defensive if they're trying to just help you. And if there are any issues or feedback given by them, I always try to take a step back and try to understand it from their perspective and then explain things from my perspective so that we can come to a mutual understanding. Sometimes I feel like if you've had a stressful day or a procedure, misunderstandings can occur. And even without you realising, taking that step back and try to understand it from both sides can really, really help um, dissipate any sort of tension that could build up because I feel like ultimately you want to have a welcoming work environment. You want to work in a space where people be, want want to work with you as well. And, yeah, and I personally find that that really makes the biggest difference in the day-to-day vibe and it makes it easier to get out of bed knowing that I'm going to a place to work where people are happy and yeah harmony just feels nice it, it makes such a big difference like you you're more willing to you know grow and, and develop your skills and everything if, when you have like a, a like a positive working environment I think people people don't realize how important that is but but like you like if, if you go to work and like you're not I really like loving it there and like you're not you're not that happy then like you're not inclined to to sort of you know push yourself and and you know, go out of your comfort zone and do those other like extra things and so um yeah and and like, it doesn't have to be like you can make your own environment like positive like it doesn't have to be you, know, you don't have to go into a, in, into a new workplace and um and it like already have to be positive like you can sort of make that change yourself um and like the little thing the, the little things like having a um like a da that's like completely like trusting with you and and you know willing to help out like when things go wrong and that sort of stuff it's like makes makes a huge huge difference and so yeah i guess like we can't stress that point enough because yeah it's it, it, it's so 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 important thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and and sharing us your your knowledge michelle oh, it's a um, pleasure. Think, thank you no i think um when i was sort of brainstorming um who to have on for this last episode uh, so many people mentioned your name and i feel like you're like the you know what people see as 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 you know the a new grad success story oh, <laughs> um and you. you're like yeah yeah you're absolutely killing it in, in in your work and and yeah it's it's really exciting to see um you you know moving towards you know, more complex sides of dentistry and, and that sort of thing so uh yeah if, if people want to sort of you know keep on uh keep track of, of of what you're doing and 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 what's happening is there a way that people can can do that yeah you can just find me on instagram and send me a dm i'd be happy to reply mm. Um, mm. I'm what's sure. your what's your Instagram? <laughs> um, it's just Michelle with two E's, then Chen mm-hmm. on Instagram. Um, mm. Don't post that much dental stuff. I'm happy to reply <laughs> to any messages. I have a few people messaging me mm-hmm. about simple cases and wanting to discuss things. But yeah, I'm pretty yeah. friendly. I'm open for a chat, so I'm happy to help. Yeah. And you're very kind. <laughs> we haven't even. Um, Michelle's got a got a. She's a bit of a food Instagrammer. Um, <laughs> you've got your 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 vegan food page as well, yes, which I, I think do. is pretty cool. Oh, thank you. It's just my little so, um, it, little side hustle it, that I've been doing during yeah. uni. I've been trying to keep it up yeah. while working. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, thank but, you. But um, yeah, thank you so much, Michelle, and um, and yeah, you're you're absolutely killing it. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist.
So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists. Thank you.